This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, bringing to you the Short Talk Bulletin, published by the Masonic Service Association of North America every month since 1923. This, the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, is produced in cooperation with the MSA and is made possible with the generous support of a grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota. Volume 21, Number 2, from February of 1943. Old Tyler Oddities. Written by Brother Carl H. Claudy. Writing in the Master Mason some time ago, Dr. Joseph Fort Newton of the Quotable Pen said, quote, I have been Tyler of my lodge for forty years. So runs the first phrase of a letter. He must be a good Tyler, this correspondent, or he could not have held his position for so long. He's been courteous to visiting brethren and made them feel welcome, one of the vital and important parts of any Tyler's work. The Tyler is the first point of contact between the would-be visitor and the lodge he would enter. As the Tyler is interested, pleasant, kindly, so is the impression the visitor receives of the lodge. As he is surly, indifferent, uninterested, so does the visitor conceive the lodge. This Tyler has made things easy for his officers for forty years, otherwise he would not have been so constantly reappointed. The officers' aprons and jewels have been in place, ready for use, before time for opening. If the charter is kept in a safe, doubtless the Tyler has placed it upon the altar and removed it after Lodge was closed, for forty years. Certainly not less than ten thousand times in those forty years he has answered a summons from within, or given one from without. If he has been prompt and active, he has saved the Lodge countless hours of time. He knows the membership of his Lodge as no other brother knows it, knows the brethren by name, face, and reputation. The new brethren, as they are raised, he fixes in his mind, that he may greet them the next meeting as members. The older brethren he knows by first names, and, if he is an old Tyler such as some we've known, his cheery, Hello, Jim, or Evening, Jack, how's everything? has sounded the keynote of a cheerful, brotherly, fraternal evening for many. They also serve who only stand and wait. For forty years to be a member of a lodge and seldom see its interior during a meeting. For forty years to stand without, with a sword and the honor and sanctity of the lodge in his care. For forty years to guard the gate against cowans and eavesdroppers, that the brethren might meet and deliberate in peace and comfort. Surely there must be honor in some celestial lodge for one who has done so much. But let us not wait for the heavenly grand honors to be given to the humble and deserving. Let us give them honor here, now. A word of cheer to the old Tyler. A pleasant appreciation of his efforts and his good work will be worth more to him than the pittance he may receive for his time. Honor to those to whom honor is due. Surely the old Tyler who has stood guard for forty years is among them. End of quote.
from whence the name Tyler came and when it came are both moot questions. In 1738, and perhaps before, the officer of the Grand Lodge who stood without the door was called Garter of Ye Grand Lodge, as we learn from the portrait of Montgomery in England. But apparently this title was soon altered to Grand Tyler, and thereafter both in England and in America, the brother without the door with a drawn sword in his hand has always been called the Tyler. Just which spelling is correct, with a Y or an I, is a matter unsettled. Apparently, the earliest mention of the word in Masonic usage is in the minutes of the Grand Lodge of England in 1732. There, it is spelled T-Y-L-E-R. In this country, it is as often spelled one way as another. Those who contend that the word comes from the operative art the tiler being the mason who set the tiles of the roof, of course believe the spelling with the I to be correct. But it is not at all certain, although it is an attractive theory, that the tiler who guards the door was named because a tiler once set tiles on the roof of a building in which masons met. An old book, The Pros des Templières, tells of early French knighthood, and mentions that it was the practice to post a sentry on the roof during the time a chapter was being held. The building being probably detached, such a sentry would be enabled from this position to see that no unauthorized person approached the house. To tile in French is Tuileries, hence the name of the palace, the Tuileries. The Pros des Templières of course, refers only to the French knights. But as the ceremonies were the same in all countries, there's no reason to suppose that the practice of posting a sentry on the roof was not followed in England. The Knights Templars were for the most part soldiers, not clerks. Ignorant of Latin and unable to read, they could with difficulty be taught their Our Father, the frequent repetition of which was all that was demanded of the rank and file of the chapter. It is not improbable, therefore, that this century was known to the English brethren by the English word Tyler. So some commentators, not knowing of the century put upon the roof, considered that the word Tyler is used because the roof closes the building against the weather and the sky above. It is the door that closes the room against the intrusion of outsiders, and the title of those who hold the door or entrance is never taken from the roof. We have sentry, from sentire, to feel, to know. Sentries are the ears and eyes of the camp, the watchdogs who guard while others sleep. The door is guarded by those who, if armed, are guards or warders. The same, if peaceful, are porters or janitors. The use of the word tiler is confined to masons, who apparently got it from the sentry on the roof of the Knights Templars. Much that is curious and interesting clings to the Tylers of the early days of Freemasonry. Apparently, Tylers often wore special clothing or uniforms. The portrait in oils of Montgomery, Garter of the Grand Lodge, 1736, before referred to, shows him attired in a dark blue coat trimmed with gold lace, 
and in a red vest or waistcoat. In a description of early Irish masonry, it is reported that a huge red cloak covered the tiler to his very toes. The large sleeves which hung below his hand terminated in cuffs of orange velvet, on each of which was a representation of a skull and crossbones in lustrous black. The blue collar had on it moons and stars of bright yellow, and candlesticks, compasses, and other cabalistic symbols of the craft nearly covered it with odd-looking devices. On his head was a gigantic cocked hat, which would almost have served him for a boat, it was so large. This was surmounted with blue and red feathers, and in his hand was a flaming falchion. The emblems on the cloak referred not only to the craft, but to the royal arch and templar degrees, so that the one garment could be used by the janitor, no matter which of the degrees was being worked. The robe was a survival from the days when craft lodges in Ireland were accustomed to confer with royal arch and templar degrees without any authorization other than that which they considered their craft warrant to bestow upon them. The practice was general throughout Ireland at the close of the 17th century. Writing of early Irish lodges and quoting from their curiously brief minutes, the English authority Wanacott has uncovered a wealth of odd details of early tilers and their duties. Apparently, the tiler was not usually a member of the lodge he tiled. His fee on ordinary nights was one-sixth, but when a mason was made, this was increased by a special fee from the candidate of from half a crown to four shillings. Later, his remuneration was increased to two-sixths per night, and about the same time, 1744, there is an item continually recurring. Drawer 6D. The drawer was probably the waiter or serving brother who attended to the creature comforts of the brethren, and not the one who drew the lodge. This was the duty of the tiler, who had to prepare symbolic diagrams on the floor of the lodge and erase them when the evening's business had closed. This was also called forming the lodge. A candidate for initiation, having failed to present himself on the 5th of December, 1770, Brother Bottomley prayed that his making might be postponed, he undertaking to pay the expenses of forming last night and this. In 1776, 1st of May, convened night, on account of the tiler having neglected to form a lodge, the brethren were not raised. Another duty to be carried out by the tiler was to deliver the summonses to the members of the lodge. March 1st, 1736, agreed by the members then present that Brother Riddall's served be allowed 12d each lodge night for carrying ye letters to each member. Riddall was landlord of the Queen's Arms in St. Paul's Churchyard, where the lodge was then meeting. And in 1744, on the 3rd of July, ordered that the tiler for the future do deliver out the summonses for the meeting of this lodge, and be paid for the same one shilling exclusive of the money for the tiling. At Christmas it was customary to give the tiler a gratuity of ten-sixths. 1771. 
Wednesday, 11 January, a motion was made and seconded and passed unanimously that in consideration of the Tyler's due attendances on this lodge and faithful services, an extra gratuity of ten shillings sixpence be delivered to him out of the general fund of this lodge, but this not to be a precedent for another year. But it did form a precedent for several years, as is attested by many entries to this effect. A motion was made that the Tyler may receive his usual compliment of half a guinea at Christmas, which was unanimously agreed. Other entries disclose other duties to be performed by the Tyler. For instance, 5 August 1740. Tis agreed that the Tyler shall take the visitor's money at the door and bring it to the master to save the trouble of the junior warden and secretary. In the 1760 bylaws, it is provided that the Tyler shall collect the money of the visiting brethren before they enter the lodge room, and every brother shall pay, besides the Tyler's usual fees, which shall be two shillings and sixpence for being raised to the third degree, the said Tyler being obliged to present each new-made brother with a list of the lodges. To modern masons, the idea of a lodge having more than one Tyler seems an absurdity. That a lodge might have not only two, but six or eight seems fantastic. Yet, in France, apparently, in early days, there were often a multiplicity of Tylers. Writing of this oddity, the great authority G. W. Speth says, quote, an early Bordeaux lodge appears to have contented itself with two Tylers. But in one of the letters which came under my observation, which is signed by some score of officers of the Bordeaux lodge, there are no less than six of them who sign Tuilière. I believe that at that time, and especially abroad, the Tyler was not a paid servant of the lodge. The serving brothers, of whom we hear often enough, appear to have been waiters merely. If this be the case, it is evident that the Tyler's duties must have been performed by a member of the lodge, and in order that there should always be a sufficient number present, and that moreover they should be able to share the duties of the evening so as to avoid any one of them spending the whole time without the door, several brothers would hold the office at the same time. End of quote. The Book of Constitutions, guarded by the Tyler's sword, is familiar to all. Some read into it the necessity of Masons to guard the Constitution of the nation, which seems rather far-fetched and would certainly date that symbol rather late for something supposed to have come from time immemorial. H. L. Haywood, noted American authority, says, quote, if the Tyler is set to guard the book, it is to remind us that secrecy and watchfulness must ever be at hand to guard us against our enemies, for the Tyler is here as a symbol rather than an officer of the lodge. The Tyler, in the present connection, is a reminder that each of us must become a watchman, seeing to it that no influence shall undermine our organic law, and that no enemies shall be permitted to our fellowship. Every loyal mason must be a tyler, watchful lest he recommend an unfit candidate, 
and careful lest he admit such influences into the lodge as make for disunion and disharmony. To keep off cowans and eavesdroppers, figurative and actual, is one great duty of membership. Cowan is a Scotch term. It was used in early Scotch masonry in more than one sense, but seems originally to mean a man who uses round, unsquare stones for building purposes, whether walls or huts. In other words, the cowan was originally an unskilled mason. Oftentimes, a cowan was loosely affiliated with the craft, but never given its secrets, for which reason he was often known as a mason without the word. The term was also employed to describe a non-affiliated, skilled mason, one who had unlawfully obtained the secrets of the craft. The word was employed by English masonry in the early Grand Lodge period. Brother J.T. Thorpe believes it was Dr. Desaguliers who first used it after his visit to Scotland in 1721. Brother Vilbert believes it was imported by Dr. Anderson in 1723 or later. Be that as it may, the word found a permanent place in our vocabulary, albeit with gradual changes of meaning. Literally speaking, as the word is now employed, a Cowan is a man with unlawful Masonic knowledge. An intruder is one with neither knowledge nor secrets who makes himself otherwise obnoxious. A clandestine is one who has been initiated by unlawful means. An irregular is one who has been initiated by a lodge working without authorization. In all these senses, a man is designated a Cowan, who makes use of the fraternity in an illegal or obnoxious manner, who uses masonry for unmasonic purposes. Manifestly, such men cannot be kept out by the tiler alone. Every member must assist in this work of the guardianship of the order. End of quote. The romance which seems to gild the tilers of an older day is hardly in evidence today. Most tilers appear rather prosaic officers with a job which, while necessary and important, is without much interest. Hence the usual practice to pay for the service. But there is romance to be found in tilers, so we look deep enough, nor do we have to look into other centuries to find it. This has been as well expressed by Rob Morris, poet of Freemasonry, in his immortal verse. God bless the old Tyler, how long he is trudged, through sunshine and storm, with his some months' due. No pain nor fatigue the old Tyler has grudged to serve the great order, Freemasons, and you. God bless the old Tyler, how oft he was led, the funeral procession from lodge door to grave. How grandly his weapon has guarded the dead, to their last quiet home where acacia bows wave. God bless the old Tyler, how oft he is knocked, when, vigilant, strangers craved welcome and rest. How widely your portals, though guarded and locked, have swung to the signal the Tyler knows best. There's a lodge where the door is not guarded nor tiled. There's a land without graves, without mourners or sin. 
there's a master most gracious, paternal and mild. And he waits the old Tyler and bids him come in. And there the old Tyler, no longer outside, no longer with weapon of war in his hand, a glorified spirit shall grandly abide, and close by the master, high-honored, shall stand. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry, and this has been the Short Talk Bulletin Podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America for the purpose of providing a common stock of vetted Masonic information to all of the constituent lodges of all of the member jurisdictions and is made possible through a generous grant from the Grand Lodge AFNAM of Minnesota who have been engaging and inspiring good men who believe in a supreme being to live according to the Masonic tenets of brotherly love, relief, and truth since 1853.